Okay, so I'm, I'm given this title. What's my title today? Things I Wish I Knew, something like that. Which is a nice way of saying, what else can we give the old guy? We've got to get the old guy to say something. And so what are we going to call? Oh, let's call it Things I Wish I Knew. <laughs> so I'm going to talk about things that, yeah, that it would have been, it would have been better if I'd have learned them sooner. Okay, so that'll be my title. I should have learned this sooner. And uh, then I, I don't want to talk long because you've been hearing hours of great teaching all morning. So then we'll just chat and we'll talk about whatever you want to talk about. Okay? And uh, you heard Wendy in the seven on seven. So I guess uh, you know one of the best parts of my life is having a great partner, and I'm glad I learned that one soon. Wendy and I got married when we were. 22 years old, 24 years old, and been uh, been working together ever since. Okay, so here's just a few thoughts, kind of random, but things that I think I would say to my younger self. All right, dude, you got to get this, or you're going to cause yourself some pain. Okay, so here's just some random, random ideas. Number one, guard your heart and your spirit. Guard your heart. Guard your spirit. So, uh, Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart out of it, all the, are the issues of life. But, no matter uh, how good we are, no matter how uh, hard we try, you're going to have stuff happen in church that's just not nice. Judd was great at that this morning, right? Telling us stuff he's been through. And I did feel better when I heard what he's been through. Right? <laughs> I, I was encouraged by that. My man, you guys... Board members resign or leave the church in between services. That's awesome. I'm so glad that happened to him. Because Wendy and I have had similar things happen to us too. And uh, all the crazy stuff that happens. Best friends, good friends, and we're doing life together. We're going to be raising grandkids together and then just disappear. And uh, didn't even tell you they were leaving. And you heard later, uh, you know, some funny reason about why they left. So, been through all of those things over and over again, more than one time. So, stuff happens in church, you've got to decide it's, it's not going to change who I am. It's not going to change. Now, it'll make me stronger, wiser, better, but it's not going to make me bitter. It's not going to make me uh, cynical. Right? Don't get cynical. Don't get uh, hurt. So, Jesus said He came to heal broken hearts. If your heart gets broken and then you don't get healed, then you start making decisions out of a broken heart. And then you create more trouble. And now it's not because of the crazy person who did something crazy. Now it's because of you and your hurt. And you know the story, hurt people hurt people. So now you're creating problems because you let your heart stay broken or be broken or you let your spirit be affected by the stuff that happens in church. You know, uh, things like you try to build your building and the city comes against you, right? It's like, really? You guys will let the marijuana dealer move in. You'll let the X-rated theater move in. You'll let the bomb-making company move in, but you don't want a church? 
I mean, and I called our city council demon-possessed publicly, right, with a microphone. I called them demon-possessed. I called them the devil. I was just mad. And what I did was I made them the enemy. And so it was fine for our church for a while because now we got somebody to fight and we're all up in arms and we're going to city council and you are all full of the devil. And we did kind of scare the devil out of the council. But then once we got the building, I had to decide, oh, I want to work with these people. I want these people to come to our church now because we moved into the new building and now we're here. Oh, I better get over myself and not make enemies of the leaders in my community, but make friends of my enemies. And I had to change. I had to get myself together or I would have kept our church small and this weird little group over there that calls everybody the devil if you don't do what they want to do. So you really have to guard your heart. And stuff happens. And remember, it happens to all of us in ministry. And keep on going, right? They left Jesus and he says to the disciples, y'all want to leave too, right? So, okay, I'm encouraged. They didn't like Jesus preaching. They don't like my preaching. Hey, I'm in good company, right? So you have to find a way to keep your heart healthy and whole and your spirit right and be a happy person and no matter what happens. Hey, now, some of you, uh, like Wendy mentioned, maybe your thorn in the flesh is that depression or hurt or anger. So you're going to have to teach yourself some tricks. You're going to say, I'm going to give myself this week. I'm going to go Monday to Friday. I'm going to be mad, <coughs> hurt, depressed. I'm going to kick the dog. I'm going to curse the cat. And I'm going to yell at everybody on the freeway. Okay, but Friday, I'm over it. Because i got to get a message ready for Sunday. I'm back in church. i got to get myself. So you got to do something. I don't know what it is. But you got to find a way to keep your heart whole, healthy, strong, right? Get, get through the drama. And uh, call your friend. Call me. Right? I have a lot of friends that I call or that they call me. And what? Dude, you won't know what happened. Oh, yeah. I, I got one that'll talk. What happened? First, you tell me your crazy story. Then I'll tell you my crazy story. And then we'll encourage each other. <laughs> That's for real. I have a lot of guys that I call. A lot of guys call me. And we just say, okay, well, let's move on. Right? Okay, so you got to keep your heart right. Number two. Build friendships with other pastors. And that has to do with the phone call I just talked about. Build friendships with other pastors. So when we were young in high school, grade school, we really got good stuff. Four years, wonderful teaching. But some of it came from an old school mentality, kind of, you know, sometimes in Bible school, you end up with a pastor who got retired, still wants to teach, so they put him in Bible school. So now I'm 24 years old, and I'm sitting in Bible school, and I'm saying, well, I'm not not, going to follow this guy, because he's obviously old, and he doesn't have what I have, because I'm going to build a great church, and his church never was that cool. So he would teach good stuff, but I would discount Right? I had two or three uh, teachers in Bible school like that. One of the things they taught was, it's hard for the congregation to understand what you're going through. 
So you try to make friends of the congregation and then share what you're going through with them, it's not going to work. Yeah. They won't get it. Okay? My son is in the U.S. Army. He tries to tell me stuff he's going through in the Army. Right? If he was telling me battlefield stories or issues with his superiors or whatever it might be, I can encourage him. I don't really get it. I've never been in the Army. Okay? Wendy had three children at home, no doctors. I was there. I wasn't much help. <laughs> she can tell me what it feels like to have a baby, but I don't really relate to her. I'm like, yeah, I was there, babe, and I was with you all the way. That's about all I got. I'm here. I'm with you. That's about all a congregational member can give you. I'm here and I'm with you. However, there may be a point when they're not with you. So that's your friend. Now what are you going to do? For me, when my friend left the church, I couldn't treat him as my friend anymore. I mean, you know, I love them. I'm going to be nice to them. I'm going to see them at the mall. But I'm not going to call them up on Sunday night and tell them what happened that morning. They left my church. So now I've not only lost, you know, my friend, I've lost that person that I was using to stay healthy. Not using in a bad way, just that relationship. So we have to learn the hard way. Your best friends are going to be guys that are doing what you're doing. People that understand what you're saying, what you're doing, what you're going through. And people who aren't going to leave your church. People who understand when someone leaves the church. So that's the guys that really help, help Wendy and I stay strong, keep going, make it through the difficult times. We love our congregation. Once in a while, we'll do fun stuff with the church folks. You know, hang out, play, game day, whatever. Go to the game, get on the boat, whatever it is. But we know this person doesn't really get what we're going through. And they don't want to. They don't want to know you had a bad day. You're the pastor. You're supposed to be spiritual. What do you mean you're depressed? Now i got to go listen to you preach after you just told me you were depressed. It's hard for people to try to see you as minister and see you as friend. It tweaks their brain. So do yourself a favor. Do them a favor. When you're with them, act like you have it all together. Not that you do. And I'm not telling you to be a phony. I'm just saying that's not the guy to share all your drama with and build friends with pastors. Now, people have said to me, well, I, I can't be friends with people who are ministers in my city. Why not? Well, you know, we, we, we may have some leave our church and go to their church. We'll call them up and say, congratulations, bro. I lost a problem. You got my problem. <laughs> with the guys in your city. Never compete. You want them to grow. If we filled every church building that all of us could get, every campus, multiple services, we all still have more than enough sinners to go around. Right? So there's no competition with any church in our city. Kevin Gerald's been on our board for years. I've been on his board for years. His, his campuses are all around our campuses. We're 10, 15 minutes from each other. We're best buddies. We, we were just hanging, had lunch two days ago. 
man, how can I help? What do you need? We want everything he does to succeed. He wants everything we do to succeed. And he's the guy I can say anything to. And he understands. Mekon's in our state. Everything Mekon does, we want him to pro- If he came to our little community and said, I'm going to start a campus, we'd be like, hey, bro, we'll help you rent the building. Let me introduce you to the mayor. What else can we do? Really, because if we feel everything he has and everything I have, we still have more than enough sinners to go. So he's my friend. His wife and my wife are our friends. Those are the guys who get it. And when you share what you're going through, they're like, with you, bro. I'm with you. And they're not going to leave the church because now we've tweaked the relationship and they don't know how to respond to us anymore, right? So I missed that when I was in Bible school. They told me, but I said, ah, those old preachers are stupid. They they don't know what I got. (laughs) I wish I would have learned it sooner. I lost a lot of good church members because I didn't know that. for you church planners, you that are starting new boards, put put church pastors on your board. I would encourage you, don't put any church members on your board. Just put pastor friends on your board. Now, I have to say, for full disclosure, I've got two or three or four business guys from our church on my board. But if I was starting today, I would not have them on my board. I would only have church pastors that I love, that love me, that I trusted, that, that would speak truth to me, that would help me. I'm on several boards where it's just church pastors. And I'm promising you they function better than having members on the board. So uh, that's a footnote for you, uh, you guys that are building boards. And if you have more questions on that, I'll be glad to chat with you afterwards. Okay, we all start our church, and one of the first things we want to do is get a building. Okay, so let me just say to you, buildings are great, but they won't solve all your problems. And a building is not a vision. Right, I talk to a lot of pastors, so what's the vision right now? Well, we're building a building. Wrong answer. You, you weren't called to own buildings. You're not called to build buildings. You're not called to have buildings. You're called to reach people for Jesus. A building is like a podium. A building is a sound system. A building is, is a place of the children. A building is just a tool. That's not, that's not what you're about. But you can get focused on a building and start to believe that the building is going to make your church awesome. You know what's not awesome? Empty buildings. Yeah, not awesome. So, uh, yeah, buildings are cool. Build them, buy them, uh, get them however you can get them, but don't make it part of the vision. Just a tool. It's it's a microphone. It's a chair. That's all it is. And we, you're probably going to get tired of it, and you're going to want another building. And uh, so, yeah, don't let buildings uh, become too big in your mind. Where am I at? Number five? Hire good people. Godly people, smart people, people who are better than you. If you have the potential to hire someone and you think they might be a little smarter than me, I better not hire them. You're a fool. Hire people a lot smarter than you. Hire accountants that remember numbers better than you do. I can raise money, but I'm not very good at counting money. I don't want to count it. 
I just want to get it and spend it. And I could do that really good. So I need an accountant who's really smart, who really manages that money. And for 30 years now, this year was our 30th year with a total audit. Our church is 38 years old. And for the first eight years, we did what we call a review, which is the accountant reviews the records that you give them. After those first years, we started doing a complete audit. Now, our audit costs $25,000, and they don't go through the numbers we give them. They go through all the books on their own. They call up donors. How much did you give last year? Okay, we just wanted to confirm because that's what we have on the church records. We do a complete audit every year, 30 years. Hire great people. Get the best involved. If you're doing children, try to find someone with master's degrees with kids. Don't get Sister Beulah, who's a great grandma. We love Beulah, and we love that she's a good grandma. But she's probably not going to instill a lot of confidence in your parents. She's probably not going to help you attract kids to children's church. So hire good people. Hire the best people that you can find. Build great teams with great people. And better yet, if you can get them to volunteer without having to pay them, praise the Lord. (laughs) Get those great people involved. Never avoid working with someone because you think, well, they're smarter, they have a degree, I don't really have a degree. Hey, I have guys on my staff who are theologians, masters, and PhDs in theology. I went to a Pentecostal Bible school. We spoke in tongues more than we studied. (laughs) I don't need a degree. How can I hire a guy with a degree, right? (laughs) Focus on what you can control, what you can change, what you can manage. Forget about what you can't. Uh, I can't make everybody like what I do. But I can make what I do more fun, more happy, more positive. So if you're thinking about, oh man, that guy's in church. He's got a scowl on his face. I don't know what he's thinking. I gotta, how can I make him feel better? Your mind is on the wrong thing. He may have a scowl on his face because he's got a hangover from the night before. It may have nothing to do with your preaching. I was really young in the church, and this guy's nodding off in church. He's falling asleep in church. I said, well, we're not going to have that in our church. Everybody in our church is a little alive and awake. I'm going, I went right down in the middle of my sermon. Bro, what's going on? I'm only going to preach 15 minutes. Can you not stay awake for 15 minutes? And his wife sitting next to him said, I'm sorry, Pastor, but he's on some really strong medication and he's, he can't stay away for very long. Oh, man, that'll ruin your sermon. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what did I do wrong? I got focused on him, which I can't control. I don't know what's going on with this guy. And I took the focus off what I can control, which is my spirit and my message, and make myself the most excited, positive, you know, energized preacher that I can be. Stop worrying about Sister Beulah and whatever's going on out there, and just control those things that you can. 
all right? You can't control what's happening in the finance world. Okay? So your income may go down simply because business guys are struggling. That's nothing to do with it. In 2008, all of our incomes went down. We didn't do that. That's not our fault. What's wrong with me? Nothing's wrong with you. But if you get your eyes on stuff you can't control, the enemy is going to eat your lunch. Yeah. It's going to consume you. You're spending energy on things you can do nothing about. So constantly renew your mind. Constantly ask yourself, where's my focus? Am I focused on the things I can control? You know what? I can talk to my children's church about being happy when they're signing kids in. I can't talk to my youth pastor about calling parents, not just the kids. These are things I control. Let's get on those. Let's be better at that. Let's not worry about what's happening in the world that's outside of my influence, okay? So I spend a lot of energy on things that I never could change. And all it did was take me away from the things that I could change. So I ask myself that question real regular. Uh, be comfortable with money. Be comfortable with money. If you apologize to receive an offering, you need some serious mind renewal. Amen. <laughs> You, you, you got to get yourself together. If you say things like, now, now we don't want to put any pressure on you, but we're going to talk about giving. Okay, you need some serious mind renewal. Okay? You've got to be so comfortable with money that people are comfortable giving you their money. You said, no, I don't want to be that. I'm, just, I'm more interested in the spiritual things. Okay. Keep your home group. Because you won't be able to have much more than a home group if you can't raise money. You need money for staff. You need money for children. You need money for youth. You need money for media. You need money for facilities. You need money. And Jesus was good with money. In Luke chapter 8 and verse 3, it said Jesus had rich men who traveled with him and gave him money. Jesus talked to me about that. Said, How do you get the rich women to hang around and give you money? <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, for receiving that. So you understand what I'm saying. You've got to be comfortable receiving offerings. We teach the Bible about giving. We're not mean about it. We're not overbearing about it. We don't belabor the point. We're just matter of fact. This is the word. This is what God said. Let's do that. Just like we do with prayer. Just like we do with serving. Just like we do with faith. This is it. This is how we roll. This is what our church is all about. Thank you for your giving today. And then, because you're comfortable with money, you won't do dumb stuff with money. Don't do dumb stuff with money. Don't lose your money. Don't give your money to somebody who doesn't have a clue. Don't put your money in things where you can lose it. Save money and spend money wisely. And then as the congregation sees you're comfortable, you're wise, you you can manage it, 
They'll, they'll be happy to give generously and, get, and business guys will give over and above and you will grow and prosper financially. You look at all our great churches in America, literally around the world, from Hillsong to Joel to any church you want to, I'll promise you, they all have great incomes because the leadership is comfortable with money. But you go talk to the brother, I don't want to bring up a bad subject here, you know. <laughs> you got to pass the plate, you know. Brother's going to get 95 cents. <laughs> Just can't live. If you want to grow your church, get comfortable with it. Raise money, save money. In all of our years, one of our greatest assets in our building and our growth is our savings. When a bank comes to you and they see that you can save 25% of everything you get, they admire your discipline and they trust your management. If you can't save because, well, you know, the kids and the youth and the building, and we just, we just don't have enough. The bank said, okay, this church never has enough. Why would we lend them money if they never have enough? Saving says, I'm disciplined. I'm a good manager, and I, I'm good with money. So you got to be saving. When we built our, our largest sanctuary, we were saving 25% of everything. We had several million, many millions of dollars in the bank, and the bank said, okay, this is a deal that we're interested in. Now today, you know, we've gone through the financial shift. Banks have changed. Regulations have changed. Lending has changed. But just recently, we did a new mortgage, a new deal, better rates and everything. And the bank said to us, you guys save more money than any church we've ever worked with. Saving says a lot about your leadership. Never being able to save also says a lot about your leadership. Now, let's take that to your personal life. Pastors probably aren't going to get a lot of stock options when you, you know, retire from church or leave the church. How that goes down in your latter years. Uh, you're not going to get any stock options. My guys at church, when they leave Boeing, stock options. Microsoft, Amazon, stock options. They retire with money. When the pastor retires, hey, we're going to give you a Rolex. By the way, it's a fake. And God bless you. Well, hopefully the church will do better than that. But you've got to save. You've got to save. If, if you're wise, you're giving away 20%, you're saving 20%, you're living on 60%. And if you're wise, 60% you live great. 60% you do well. It's a mindset. That's all it is. John Osteen used to say, you can live on the top of the barrel, or you can live on the bottom of the barrel. It's your choice. So if every month you've run out of money, you're at the bottom of the barrel, it's because you choose to do that. Okay? Now, I understand. We were young. We were trying. We were building. We were hiring. I get it. But it's still a mindset. I'm going to live on the top of the barrel. I'm just not going to live on the bottom of the barrel. So, in your ministry life and in your personal life, save money. Just keep saving it. Keep saving When you retire, you should have a few million dollars in the bank. And a pastor can do that 
if he's wise. And uh, I hope you do it. I believe you will. Okay, how long have I been rambling on here? 30 minutes already? Oh man, I didn't even get to the good points. I'm going to quit. One of the things I think a lot of the guys miss is they don't have much fun. Now, ministry is fun. Church life is fun. We enjoy it. I enjoy this today. This is fun. But I mean fun like hiking. Fun like playing racquetball. Fun like riding your Harley. I like to ride Harley. I like to build Harley. I'm always riding, building, trading, some kind of Harley. Wendy and I ride bicycles. We climb mountains. Uh, when Wendy's with me, I'm into photography. When Wendy's not with me, I hate photography. <laughs> when, if it's with Wendy, if you didn't get a picture, it didn't happen. <laughs> Your wife saw any of them. Yeah, she's in the picture. She got pictures of everything. She's good. She's good at it. Uh, golf. Do something. Right? Find some way to have fun. Some of you guys are way too serious. I mean, you're like the one who makes us say, God. I think God's word to you is, bro, you need to go have some fun, right? Then you just need more sex with your wife or something. I mean, you know, stay fit, stay healthy. Right? Stay fit, stay healthy. Do something to stay fit, whatever it is. Whatever you like to do. I don't know if you're a runner, bicyclist, weightlifter, crossfit. Do something. Doesn't matter. Just do something. Because when you're 60, right, right now I'm 62, it's harder to keep the energy, to keep the excitement, to keep the passion. So if I was struggling with my health, whew, that would be even more hard. When I was 40-something, I found out I had hepatitis C. And so the doctor says to me, he says, now look, you don't have to deal with this right now. You can just let it go, and you know, someday later on, you'll probably have to deal with it because your liver's failing. Little by little, every day, your liver is failing. But it's not failing now, so you can wait if you want. I said, no, no, we're dealing with it now. Because when I get to 50 and 60, I don't want to be worried about hepatitis, right? So you're ready. You're on top of life because you're fit. You're strong. You're healthy. When you get to 60, you're still going. When you're 70, you're still going. When you're 75, you're still going. Right now, I have options. When should my kids or when should the team take over and do different things? Because I can still do what I'm doing, but only because I stay fit. And that takes time. That takes commitment. When you not have to stay at it, otherwise you'll lose your health. And uh, it's hard to preach on healing when you've lost yours. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm done. I'm tired of talking I didn't read any materials, but uh, you can get it online, get it on Amazon, or get it at caseytreat.com. Tosh, our daughter's done a new worship album called Audience of One. Who's, who's a worship leader in here? Any worship leaders in here? All right. Tosh is our best vocalist at Christian Faith Center, and that's kind of fun. Some new stuff that she did. This is one of our best books, God's Word for Every Circumstance. Top of the Bible. You should make one of your own and put your name on it. People think you're smart. Verses, right? But this is probably our main message, Renewing the Mind. We call it 2.0 because it's kind of our latest version of Renewing the Mind. And uh, that's the message that really got us started. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I really think most of our problems aren't spiritual. They're mental. 
right? Because God, God broke through in the spirit realm and sent his son and sent his spirit and gave his word. So now if we just keep on thinking, right? Keep our mind, right? We'll, we'll win. We'll win. The reason we don't get more wins is because we're not thinking right. We're thinking, we'll focus on the wrong thing. So I'm always talking about renewing the mind. All right, what you want to talk about now? Give me a, give me a thought or a question. I'll repeat it and uh, we'll see if we can come up with an answer. Well, what are you dealing with that you want to that you want to talk about? Questions, answers, additions, or deletions? Yes, sir. What's the hardest and easiest conversation? Hardest and easiest conversation. Well, hardest for me personally would be the people that are leaving that you thought were with you, that you thought were really keeping your future, people that, maybe a staff person or a church member, that you thought, man, this guy's going to be great for years to come. And then they're telling you, yeah, we're leaving, and you know, those are painful, those are And I've got a few guys through the years that stick in my mind. I don't know why some people stick in your mind more than, some people are like, okay, brother, hurts my feelings, but see, uh, we don't want to be uh, but then there's those ones that just, you just can't forget, and that's a problem. Those are hard. Um, you know, there's other hard conversations where people are telling you about their abuse or about their divorce or about their children and disasters and people that need healing and you that everything you anointed them, you prayed, you interceded, you, and you, know, you just can't fix them. That's painful for a pastor because we want to fix people, right? That's why we're here. We're trying to help people. Those are hard. Yeah, easiest conversation. I don't want you to give me a million dollars. I feel led to receive that. That was easy. Thank you, Jesus. I had one brother give me two million dollars. He was a Seahawk, Seattle Seahawk player. He was a real time. He gave us two million dollars. And uh, I said, So, how do you do that? Do you write a check? What do you do again? $2 million. He goes, well, I'd like to give it to you in four installments on my American Express card, but I can only give 500000 at a time. And I said, well, I'm sure we can make that work. <laughs> find a way to receive that $2 million. I still love that brother. My favorite church member. <laughs> Closing a service, the end of a service. Okay, for me, it's a bit unique from all of my friends because I'm I'm still a little old school. I'm doing altar calls. Okay, so don't do it because I'm doing it, but I'll tell you what I'm doing because you ask. So I teach for 35 or 40 minutes, and then I said, now we're going to pray before we go, and I want to pray for you personally before we leave this service. Our services are one hour and 15 minutes, so at about an hour. Five or ten. I'm like, okay, we're going to close. Let's pray. I said, Father, we pray for people and their relationship with God. Whatever I teach them, doesn't matter. My prayer is for your relationship with God. And then I said, now, before we go, are you born of God? Are you filled with the Spirit of God? Do you pray with the Holy Spirit? I say that every single Do you pray with the Holy Spirit? Uh, are, are you right? Maybe you need to come back. So I take three or four minutes, go through four things. Born again. 
baptized with the Spirit, right with God. Maybe you need to rededicate or a church member. You have a church home. Those four things, every service. It only takes me five minutes at the most. Born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, rededicate or a church member. If you want prayer for one of those things, I want to pray for you personally. Let's close our eyes. Lift up your hand. Always have people lift their hand. And always have at least twice as many come forward as do lift their hand. So sometimes I don't see anybody. So I'm like, thank you for that hand. Thank you that I don't see. Thank you for that hand. The multitudes are coming, but I just can't see them. So then I say, okay, let's all stand. Now we're connected with our other campuses on a live feed. So when I start that altar call, live feed goes down, campus pastors take over the altar call. Because we found that it doesn't work when you're watching an altar call on a screen. It needs to come from a voice in the, in the room. So then, let's stand. Okay, now if you raise your hand, or maybe you just feel in your heart you need this prayer, come stand with me. And by this time, I'm down on the floor like this, and then... You know, we average close to 5,000 people a year that walk forward. This is what we've been doing for 38 years. I don't have any friends that do this. I don't know why I keep doing it, because every time I'm scared, no one's going to come. But it's just what we do, so I just keep doing it. Maybe the key to our altar call is we've trained hundreds of what we call prayer partners or personal workers. So everybody that comes... One of these prayer partners comes and stands behind them. I think our greatest discipleship is training those prayer partners. It causes everybody in our church to be a soul winner, to feel comfortable getting people saved or filled with the Spirit. So then they come up, I pray for them, you know, it takes another moment, a minute, literally a minute or two, and then they take them off and they pray for each one person. So we do all of that in six six minutes or so. And then I jump up on stage. You guys have a great Sunday. I'll see you next week. Boom, we're out. So, hour and 15. That's how we close. That's the greatest breakthrough of testimony we have in the ministry. Breakthrough of testimony? I don't know. I, you know, for me, it's just all, all those daily things, all the... I, I can't think of any one big thing that was a breakthrough. When we were... A year old or so, we still rented the gymnasium in a little Christian school, and it was really a poor facility, but it was cheap. It was a Christian school, right? They liked us. And we had one rich guy come to church. I don't know how we got there, but his family had money. So I said, bro, we want to start a TV show. Would you help us? And he's like, yeah, I'll help. How much do you need? And I had no idea. So this is in 1980. So I just threw out a number. Well, we're going to need about $10,000 to get started. He said, great, I got that. And he wrote a check right then, $10,000. That was a big breakthrough for me in 1980. So then I had to go get television time. So I went to the local Fox station. I said, hey, I want to start a TV show. 1980, right? Some of you were born. None of you were born. (laughs) So... uh, the guy says, well, what kind of script? What's, what's the television format? What's your, what's your script? Do you have a storyboard? And I happen to have a Bible right back then. I carry a briefcase. I just pull out the Bible and there's my script. Something, the guy was this Episcopalian that ran this station in Seattle. 
And you smiled. And he said, you got your, you got your airtime. So then I'm scrambling, like, well, now what do I do? I have no idea what to do. But it all started with that guy that gave $10,000. So a couple weeks later, we were producing a program at the station. Every week I drive down, and we made that program. So within a year, our church was speaking to more people in Seattle than any other church. So, you know, those, those little steps is what caused us to grow and uh, still be there today. Still doing television today. What time am I supposed to stop, Jess? Uh, let's go 235 to 40. Okay, a couple more questions. Yes, sir. You said your greatest regret. Greatest regrets, yeah. Uh, well, not doing all the things I told you. Uh, those lessons I had to learn the hard way. Don't learn the hard way. Learn the smart way. Learn the wise way. What's, what's better, learn from your mistakes or learn from someone else's mistakes, right? That's why art is so cool, because you guys get to hear things that, that, that you need to hear, and they're awesome. Greatest regret, I think, being too serious about everything. For the first years, I don't know if you ever watched Fred Price back in the day when Fred was uh, very popular. Fred Price was my hero. And Fred is one serious brother. Fred, everything is If you, literally, I'm at the restaurant with Fred. He asked the waiter to bring three cherries. The waiter brought six cherries. And Fred says, would you take this back? I asked for three. I didn't ask for six. That's my mentor. <laughs> you gotta count your cherries. You gotta be serious. Don't be playing. I was way too serious about everything. Which makes everything heavy and everything hard. And people, you wear people out. So lately, the last year I've tried to just have fun. The joy of the Lord is our strength. This is God's church. It's not on me. I'm doing my part. I'm going to do my best. But I'm not just, I'm not just going to carry this thing. Because you, you just get too negative. You get too, you just get too serious. And uh, yeah. Maybe for some people that's not a good message. Maybe some of you is like, bro, plug in, right? This is, this is not a laughing matter. But I think for a lot of us who feel that pastor, that leadership call, for, we can get a little bit heavy, right? A little bit serious. And it's good to, good to smile and smile. Have some fun. In the early days, how did you deal with growing pains and you had to make changes, forgetting those changes from offending those? Yeah, growing pains and, and people that get offended because you're making those changes. Well, we grew quickly, so I had to quickly establish, hey, this is a journey. We're, we're going, so there's going to be changes. And because I taught renewing the mind so much, we made change a normal thing. Now, that doesn't mean it makes it easier, but at least it was in the conversation. Change is good, right? We all love change, so we have to change. Right. And so I would always say things like that and just keep that as a normal part of, of your sermons, of your, of your leadership meetings, your staff meetings. Hey, the way it is now is not the way it's going to be next year. 
We're going to keep growing. We're going to need new facilities. Then we started new campuses. That changes things. And then people are going out starting other churches. We've been starting churches since the first years of our church. So that changes things. So I think make change normal. It'll still be challenging, but at least it's in the conversation and people recognize change is good. You know, I say things like this to our people. You want your teenager to grow up so they will move out, right? You don't want them living at home when they're 30. If they're living at home when they're 30, it's because there's a problem. So change is good, right? The, the empty nest mentality is a negative way of thinking. I'm so sad my kids leave. No! Thank God they left! <laughs> Rejoice! You get to run around your house naked with no kids there. This is amazing. I love this empty nest, right? Those are the kinds of things I say. We try to make change part of our culture. Um, what are we looking for in hiring? Yeah, some of the things we're looking for when we're, when we're hiring people. Okay, I call them the basic things, like you love the, our church. Not just love, you love the church. You love our church. You know, Judd was talking today about the person who doesn't like the music, who doesn't like the lighting, who doesn't like the stage. Okay, we're not going to hire that guy. Yeah. Right? And it's funny, that guy will apply for a job. It's like, bro, you don't even like our church. (laughs) Not only do I not want you on staff, I don't even want you in the congregation. (laughs) So, basics. Do the basics. Love. Do you love our church? Do you love what we're doing? Do you love what we're about? And then, you look it up. I think it's 1st Chronicles. Could be 2nd. I think it's chapter 12. David says, are you here for me? The mighty man came to David, right? And he says, are you here to help me? So not only do you love our church, you love Nikon. You love Jesse. Because if you don't love them, you can't be on our staff. Now, it's hard for us because it, it sounds prideful or it sounds egotistical. Are you here to help me? So I have one of the other guys say I have people interview, you know, the HR, we have a HR department, so the head of the human resource department does the interview, and they ask the question, do you love Pastor Casey? Are you really here to help him? Because if they hesitate right there, then they're out. So you got to pass the basic test, basic Christianity, right? Are you here because you love our church, you love our pastor, you love what we're doing? And then we get to the specifics. If it's children, media, then they need those skills. And sometimes you find young people who you just know are talented and you will spend the time to train them. If they're young, we'll just spend the time to train them. And that could be for any department. We have a a young lady now who I think will be a campus pastor who just runs our children's department. But when she came, she'd never uh, been a children's pastor. But she just was so talented, we knew she could do it. And I think she could do a lot more. So, you know, those, those kind of just kind of grow up on the team. So look for the basics, then look for the specifics. And sometimes look for the really talented ones that you know you can raise up. Okay, one more thing. Jesse wants us to get out of here. 
my greatest leadership principle. I don't know. Um, keep learning. Keep learning. Um, I, I try to keep. I try to keep a spirit that's big, so you're never small-minded. You're never petty. You're never selfish. I keep keep that big, that big spirit. Generosity. Um, yeah, I don't know. Keep trying. Don't give up. <laughs> All right, guys. Hope you got a thought or two that you could use. And um, hey, let's go some great churches, right? Amen. Let's go some, some great churches. Thank you, Father, for your presence on these leaders and everything that they do. May the anointing of God empower them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.